So we are beginning a new series of messages today. Um, we'll be starting a conversation about the church. And um, uh, it's really going to be about the church, about kind of where, where the church is and where the church is going. And um, I feel like I kind of need to, to make some disclaimers here. Most of the time, I try to find uh, topics uh, to, to talk about. Uh, the series that I talk about are things that have practical implications in our lives as, as, as followers of God. Um, but this is really not about us. It's not something, you know, it's like how, how to have a better job or a better marriage. It's about how to have a better church. And, and that may seem a little abstract, and it's like, well, I'm not sure what I do with that. Um, but that's really kind of where we're going with this. So, so if you if you have come to this church and you don't know exactly what it is you believe about Jesus, if you're you're still trying to figure out kind of what it is you believe about the church and about Jesus, this is is maybe helpful to you because you'll kind of hear what what it is the pastor has to say about um, the church and what the scriptures teach us about it. But it's not going to be something you can try out in your own life because it's talking to the church as the community of God's people. So um, uh, the good news is that means you don't have any hard applications. When the people around you are wincing and they're going, I don't know if I want to do that, um, you can say, well, not my problem because I'm not part of the church. So um, so there is that. So you're welcome and I invite you to continue. But this this is really directed at people who are part of the church. And um, that doesn't mean it's not practical. I think the church is a very practical thing. And so if the church is a healthy church, if the church is on the mission that God has assigned it, then it's going to be very practical. It's just not going to be very personal. So um, what is this sermon series about? It's about the book of Acts. Um, we have, we have um, four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but Luke's biography is, is unique because he, it comes in two parts. The first part is about the story of Jesus, and the second part tells us about the story of the early church. What happened where we are now, which is right after Easter. So Jesus has been raised from the dead, and so the question we're facing, the very same question that the early church faced is, now what? And the reason it's landing on us, I think in a unique way today, is that we have this mission that, that Jesus gave the church. Um, some of you uh, are familiar with the Great Commission, the way Matthew tells it in chapter 28 of Matthew's biography. Um, that's the one I grew up knowing. It's it, Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has, has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing, them in the, in the, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you to the end of the age. That's kind of the great commission that is probably the, the most familiar to people who are uh, coming from a church background. But Luke tells us um, two, two different versions of it. In the end of his biography, he simply uh, he simply says um, that they they got, got it. He gives it in summary form. He says, "You're witnesses of these things, and I'm sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high." So he kind of summarizes it at the end of his previous volume, but now at the beginning of this volume, he kind of tells more details about how that looked. So we have yet another telling of the Great Commission, and he says this. Uh, first, Luke says why he's writing the book. He says. In the first book, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven. Um, uh, that's probably not the best translation. In fact, I couldn't find any other translation that puts it this way. 
Um, what they say is Jesus began to do and teach. And there's actually some questions in the bulletin. If you look at the program, there's a little set of questions in there. And you can kind of think about what that means. And there's some um, other examples of how it's translated. But, but he's saying kind of what the first volume was about. And now what is this volume about? He says, he says, um, till the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instruction to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, that's the events of Good, Good Friday, so um, he was crucified and died, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. So uh, several hundred people over the course of 40 days learned that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's what Jesus is always talking about. It is the idea that we don't have to wait to heaven to enter into the, the kingdom that God has set before us, that we can have the kingdom of God in our lives right now, that the kingdom of God has come near. It's available to us even now and not just someday later on when we die. So Jesus is always talking about that. But then, while staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So then they say, so now the kingdom's going to come. This kingdom you've been talking about, it's going to come. It's going to become the civil authority here on earth. And he says, um, it's not for you to know the times or periods the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So to put that in our own geographical context, it would be like saying, um, you'll be my witnesses in Anchorage, in uh, the south central part of Alaska and to the ends of the earth. So that is the that is the commission that Jesus gives the church in the book of Acts. He says, you'll be my witnesses. And to be honest, because I'm a Presbyterian, uh, because I'm a wimp, I actually kind of like this version better than Matthew's version. In Matthew's version, Jesus says, make disciples. And I don't know how effective I am at that. But anybody can be a witness, right? All you've got to be as a witness is just... Tell what you what tell what you know, you know. If you have been become convinced that Jesus has been raised from the dead, then you just tell people that's what it is. And what they do with it is really between them. You know, your job is simply to to make the the introductions, and then it's up to Jesus and them to figure out where things go from there. So I like the the picture that that Luke uses here: uh, be witnesses rather than the one that Matthew talks about, which. I tend to overread and I say it's my job to make people a disciple. Let me be fair. To be a disciple simply means to be a student. So I think they're really talking about the same thing. But I overread Matthew and I say, well, what if they don't become a Christian? Well, that's not really what Matthew said, but that's the way I hear it. So I like this version better. But that's the commission that Jesus gave the church. And in the last 20 centuries, Jesus has never revoked it. That's the commission the church has always had. But we have a problem. We have a problem today because the things that we have been doing for the last 20 centuries aren't effective anymore. For most of the last 20 centuries, the way people fulfilled the commission is when they had children, they told their children what they believed about God. And that was pretty much it because people didn't travel very much. There wasn't mass media there was pretty much you and the, the, the town you grew up in, and you might move to another town, but mostly you didn't. So the people you knew were who were not Christians were basically the next generation of Christians. And that's the way the church operated throughout Europe and 
uh, North America for most of the last 2,000 years. But what happened about you know the 1500s, you can pick a starting date, is because of improvements in travel, people began to travel much more readily. They went to further than they had. They crossed oceans. They discovered how to navigate and so forth. They crossed oceans, and they began to bump into people who hadn't heard about Jesus. And so for another 100 or 200 years, people began to hear about Jesus from people who were Christians, but not necessarily witnesses. And after, after a while, the church kind of noticed this and said, you know what, there are people who's, who are forming impressions about Jesus based on the Christians that they bump into who are, who are showing up in new places and, and uh, maybe they're trading peacefully, maybe they're exploiting, maybe they're enslaving, who knows what they're doing, but it would be really great if people got a chance to hear about Jesus from people whose intention was to tell them about Jesus and not to tell them the way Christians sometimes aren't the best Christians. So that's when Christians began forming missionary societies, and they started sending missionaries overseas to do the work that, that Jesus gave the church, because they said, we want to do something the church hasn't done for quite a while. We want to actually send uh, we, we want to be busy with the, the commission, but there's new people. There's not just children who we have to be witnesses to. So that's where the missionary societies came from. And so for the next 200 years, about the last 200 years, that's really where our picture of missionaries grew up. Um, that we thought that missionaries were people who wore pith helmets and they went to different parts of the world and they told people about Jesus and um that was kind of our picture for the last two centuries of what missionaries were. But what has happened in the meantime is our society has changed. By our society, I mean what used to be called Christendom, the place where Jesus ran things. Well, I don't know if Jesus ever really ran things in that sense in Europe or North America, but he certainly doesn't anymore. That our society has de-Christianized, and increasingly what we find in our culture today is people's only understanding of Jesus is like the people 200 years ago in different parts of the world is the Christians they bumped into who weren't specifically trying to tell them what they believed about Jesus. What has happened in the last, certainly the last uh, 50 years, but maybe as much as the last 100 years, is our society has de-Christianized and as a result it has become a mission field. So what the church has been doing for 20 centuries isn't working. And yet Jesus has given us this commission. Jesus has said, you will be my witnesses. And for a long time, all that meant was tell your children about Jesus. And then for a while, it meant hire some people to go off into other places and tell people about Jesus. But now in our generation, or certainly the last two generations, what has happened is really the mission field is the people across the street, the people at work, the people the people at school, people who literally have no understanding of Jesus except they know that there is those Christians, but I don't really know anything about them. And so our mission field has become the people that we live among because what the church has been doing for 20 centuries is no longer effective in being witnesses in the world. So that is our challenge. How can we adapt our methods to carry out the work that Jesus has assigned us given the fact that what the church has always done isn't working anymore. And the amazing thing to me is that God has provided the answer because, you see, for 20 centuries, the church has done something. But before that, the church had the opportunity to figure it all out. And that's what the book of Acts is about, and that's what we're going to be 
doing a very quick survey of over the next several weeks. We're going to be looking at the way the church tackled this problem. How do we bear witness to Jesus? Tell people that there is a God who loves them, a God who has done all the heavy lifting already so that they can be connected back to God and they can have God's grace and mercy and love flowing in their own lives. How do we do that? Well, there's people who've done it. They went into a world that didn't know anything about Jesus. They'd never heard of Jesus. And they told him. They don't, they don't, they not only told about him, but they changed the world. You know, Jesus might as well have been telling them that day because this is what happened. Jesus might as well have been telling them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the world and I want you to eliminate slavery. I want you to invent public hospitals. I want you to invent orphanages. I want you to revolutionize the status of women in the world. And I want you to make children a new category that people have never had before in the way they will after you do what I'm calling you to do. Jesus told them to change the world because he told them to bear witness to him. But what's amazing to me is that the first step in that awesome responsibility that he laid on the church wasn't to do anything. The very first thing he said to do was to wait. He said, while staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there. You know, I think so often when, when, when I know I have to do something, I, I will procrastinate with the best of them. I, no one can touch me when it comes to procrastination. But when I finally know I've got to do something, when, I, when the responsibility lands on me and I've got to do it, I want to do it. You know, at some point you just kind of say, I have to do it. But Jesus says, wait. Jesus says, wait there. Don't get started. Don't plunge in yet. And the answer is because you're going to have help. See, God is more committed to our success than we are. God, God wants us to be involved in it. It is our work to do. But it is not only our work. God has promised he will send help so that we will have help as we go about the work he's called us to. He says, he says wait for the promise of the Father. And then he spells it out more clearly in verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And so forth, to the ends of the earth. And then he goes away. And what I like about this telling, the way that Luke tells the story, is while they're watching, Jesus is, is going up into the area, and he's, he's disappearing, and he's just told them to wait. And two guys show up, two angelic beings show up, and they say, get busy. He say, what are you doing standing around? I, I love that because, because waiting is not idleness. You can wait productively. And we see that's exactly what happens in our lesson. What happens is they are standing there. The angels say, let's get going, you know, get busy. Get busy at waiting. And so what do they do? They return to Jerusalem. And they enter the city and they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter, James, and so forth. Because waiting... As Christians, waiting as people who have been given a commission from Jesus is in community. We wait not by ourselves, but in community. We build a community where people are accepted and belong before they have to be involved in the work of the church. And that's what they did. They had a community. You know, how many times have you heard of a church that was torn apart because, because the Holy Spirit was leading in the church in a new direction? There was some possibility. There was a, a new people group 
or a new a new circumstance in that community, and the Holy Church, Holy Spirit was leading the church to take this new responsibility on, but it caused trouble within the church because people were insecure. They thought, well, if we do that, what about me? So one of the things we can do while we're waiting, while we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to open up new possibilities, is to make sure people realize they're valued and accepted already so that they don't become insecure and and feel challenged when the church goes after the possibilities that the Holy Spirit opens up for them. So the first thing we can do is waiting people is to build community, to be a place where people are loved and accepted as they are, warts and all, before anything else. That first we build a community, but then second, what do they do? They pray. What do they pray about? You know, Jesus has told them, I'm going to have you do something. Why did they pray about it? You know, it's Jesus' deal. Why should I pray about Jesus' deal? That is why they prayed, I think. I think the reason they prayed is because they wanted it to become their deal. And by spending some time in prayer, it quit being the work that Jesus was telling them to do. And it became the work they wanted Jesus to help them do. That by spending time in prayer... For the mission of God, how can, how can your mission to us become our life's work, our consuming passion? Lord, we want your help with the work that you've assigned us to, to do until it becomes this thing where we are living in the will of God and God is equipping us to do the work. And it's this virtuous circle where we're asking for help and God is giving the help and where it becomes what we're about and not just Jesus's deal. So the first thing we can do while we wait is we can build community. But the second thing we can do is pray for the work that God is calling us to. And the last thing is the most boring thing of all. And I'm, I cut it out of our reading because it was too long. The rest of this chapter shows what they do. They built systems. Like Moses, before he moved into the promised land, he said, we need to elect leaders. We need to get some systematic things kind of sorted out. We need to make sure that we're structured for the work that's ahead of us. And I'm actually going to have a message about that in a few few weeks. We're going to talk a little bit about structures. But it's remarkable to me that the very next thing they do, while they're still waiting, before, they're, before the work is ahead of them, they structure themselves for what they want to be doing, not for what they are doing. The church is looking ahead and saying, does this structure make any sense? You know, one of the things that strikes me is if you look at our church structure, basically everybody on that side of the building must be in a board. You've got to be in some kind of a board or committee because our bylaws demand it. That our bylaws require about 24, 25 people to be involved in the work of the church in some kind of commissioned work in the church. And I would say that's probably not optimal for a church this size. I think our boards are too large. So I think there's things you can do structurally as you await the the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But that's the structure we've got. And it doesn't stop there. It happens at the denomination levels. We're, we're dealing with that at the denomination level. And so I know that that's kind of um, treasonous to even say maybe we need to change our book of order or maybe we need to change our bylaws. But the bishop gave me this. This is my get-out-of-heresy-trouble card. Um, this is a permission-giving certificate from Bishop Grant a couple of years ago, and I've, I've held it up a couple of times, I know. But what he's saying is, look, what we used to do doesn't work. I mean, everybody in church leadership knows this. 
The things that worked for 2,000, century, 2000 years, for 20 centuries, the things that worked changed the world. They made the world a better place, unarguably a better place. There have been mistakes along the way, you know, crusades and inquisitions. There have certainly been terrible tragedies. But if you look around, Christianity has made the world enormously better than it was at the time of Christ. But it's not working anymore. The reality is, Bishop Grant, the leadership in our presbytery, the leadership in our denominations, this is what we talk about because we know it's not working anymore. And so we need to re retool. We need to spend this time waiting productively, thinking about the systems that we need to do. So like Moses electing new leaders, like the apostles picking Matthias to replace Judas, we need to realize we have permission, not just from the bishop, but from Jesus. We're supposed to use this time productively. So the work we're doing is important. What we, The way we've been doing it isn't effective, but we have an example to learn from. We're not the first people to go down this path. The early church was led down the same path by Jesus, who is still alive, and he tells us, I'm going to send you help. So we will have help. But in the meantime, while we're waiting for the discernment of the Holy Spirit, we can build community. We can make sure everybody knows they're accepted, they're loved, there's a place for them, even if the church does pursue new opportunities. Second, we can pray. We can be caught up in the work. We can say, Lord, we want success at the work, not because it's your deal, but because it's our deal. It has become our deal. And finally, we can do the work we need to do to build the systems we have to have. So let's wait productively. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the work of the church. These are exciting times um, and challenging times because we've got centuries of, of work that, that we can look at and say, what was wrong with that? And there wasn't anything wrong. It succeeded. But now it's no longer right. And so, Lord, we pray that you would guide us we pray for your spirit to move among us to help us do this commission that Jesus gave us. Help us to be part of your work in transforming the world for the better. Help us to make disciples and help us to wait. We pray it all through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right.